Are you ready to accelerate the growth of your business? Welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. This is the place for business owners, sales leaders, and marketing professionals to get ideas and inspiration to drive exponential revenue growth. Each week, you'll get actionable insights from the world's leading marketing and sales thought leaders and practitioners. Are you ready to grow? Let's join our host, Daryl Amy, author of Revenue Growth Engine. Welcome back to the Revenue Growth Podcast on the C-Suite Radio Network. Daryl Amy here, and I am excited about what we have to share with you today. We're going to speak with Matt Dixon, co-author of The Challenger Sale and The Challenger Customer, and the insights he is going to bring us today are extremely timely, and I believe you're going to get a lot out of this episode. As we get started, I just want to let everybody know about an event that's coming up this week. It's going to be on Tuesday, May 5th. And it's an executive panel discussion called Building Your Road to Recovery. And I'm really looking forward to being a part of this panel, along with Mark Abbott, the founder of 90.io, Alec Broadfoot as well, the CEO of VisionSpark. And what we're going to be doing, this is going to be a fun event. It's not going to be a, a, a death by PowerPoint webinar or anything like that. This is actually going to be a, a live panel, and, and each of us are going to bring some insights to the table to help make sure you're setting a good foundation for growth. Of course, I'll be talking about revenue growth. Mark Abbott is going to bring some perspective on process and and Alec is going to bring the, the, the side of people, making sure we have the right people in the right seats on the bus, or as I've kind of been joking, making sure we can actually find the bus right now. Uh, But everybody, thanks for joining us. As we've been talking about in the Revenue Growth Podcast, this is a really critical time. As we're recording this podcast, uh, there are states across the United States of America, and I know even our listeners around the world, we're all in different places in terms of where we are. I know some states are opening. I was on a a conference call yesterday, a, a large Zoom meeting with sales leaders. Some were saying their states are opening. Um, other sales leaders were saying, hey, we're still kind of locked down. I don't know where you are right now, but wherever you are, I want to encourage you that this is a time to drive and thrive. This is a time for all of us to be looking forward as business leaders, whether you own a company, whether you're a sales leader, whether you lead a marketing team, wherever you are, this is a time for us to think strategically and look forward. And that's why I'm looking forward to this conversation with Matt Dixon. The Challenger sale was born out of research done during the last recession. And I know we don't really have anything to quite compare to the COVID-19 crisis, but probably the closest thing that we can all relate to is what happened in 2008, 2009. And it was very interesting that the Challenger sale was based on research during that time. In particular, it was based on research that asked the question, what are the most productive reps? What are the superstar reps uh, doing? What do they look like? What's unique about them? And the research in the Challenger sale uh, yielded some very interesting results, not only about sales reps, but also about buyers and how buyers respond during the anxiety of a crisis. So today, you're going to get some very practical information uh, in terms of how you sell and also how you market. So without further ado, let's dive in and let's join this conversation between myself and Matt Dixon of The Challenger Sale.
Well, Matt, welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. It's great to have you here today. What's going on? Hey, Daryl. I'm doing. I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. I am. Uh, I am sheltering in place, like uh, all of your <laughs> listeners right now. I know we talked about. You know, we're going to do a drive time um, uh, podcast here, and it's like, as you said, nobody's driving. But you know. <laughs> I started I actually started my car uh, and I don't think I'd started my car in two or three weeks. Yeah. And I know, sure. you know, if my car had emotions, it's thinking, what the heck? Where have you been? Right. I've got the and, same tank of gas in my car yeah. for the past two months. And I'm I'm actually now worried. Like I know I, I once destroyed a perfectly good snowblower by leaving it full of gas <laughs> for the winter or over the summer. And it wouldn't start the next winter. Now I'm worried like, oh man, I'm not driving my car enough. It's not going to start when I need it, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, it's enjoying the garage and not the airport parking lot like usual. Yeah. So, yeah. well, hey, thank you for joining us. And I know, um, you know, I've been a massive fan of the Challenger sale. In fact, I just, Thanks. I really want to say thank you because I think the the ideas in the book and the research uh, that you and Brent did, it really radically altered my mindset um, as a sales trainer and a marketing professional. So um, it was really good. But, you know, I, I picked the book up and this is before I asked you to, about the podcast. I was just yeah. going back and I think this was part of my, my COVID sanity strategy. And so I was going back through my favorite books and rereading them and, and all of that. And so I, you know, I picked up Challenger Sale and I started reading through the research and I just had this light bulb moment of this stuff is more relevant. I mean, it's completely relevant right now. And because, you know, I, I, I just love to hear kind of where the idea came to start this research and, you know, the yeah. good time of 08, right? right. <laughs> we all remember oh, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so we were, um, well, first, I thank you for the kind words about the book. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, the, the book is, uh, the original research, I should say, is um, over 10 years old. And I think the book is going on about 10 years because it came out in 2011. And um, what was interesting is, just to answer your question, you know, we, Brent and I both worked at um, a company called CB. It's since been acquired by Gartner Group. Mm -hmm. And um, that model was really subscription-based research. And so we worked with, I think at the time, about 700 heads of sales around the world, and they would wow. sign on, you know, for a research subscription, and we would do benchmarking and have executive meetings, and we would put out uh, content, uh, and we publish that content and present it back to our membership, you know. And at the time, it was um, it was early in 08, and we were starting to explore topics, um, and I don't even remember what we were going to go study, but suddenly, like the world fell apart. Right. And Lehman Brothers collapsed, and the whole world just went to went to hell. And so, we quickly pivoted. We had already put in a couple of months of work on a totally different study, but we pivoted because a lot of our clients were saying, "Look, um, the thing I need help with now is not the thing I told you two months ago when you surveyed me and we're trying to find the research topic for the year. What I need help with now is, is sort of solving this mystery or coming up with some insight as to like why right now." in this awful sales environment, when, when we are all missing quota by a very wide margin, why is it that some of my folks are still finding success? And they're bringing in um, deals that we would be happy to have um, in the best of times, and they're doing mm -hmm. it in the teeth of the downturn. So was it, what is it that they figured out that maybe we can isolate and then um, teach everybody else to do or export to, to the core of the sales force? And so that you know, completely reoriented the research. Um, we uh, we went out, we launched a global study. We started with about 6,000 um, uh, salespeople, I believe, were in the study. 
And then by the time I left CEB, you know, 10 years later, we had collected data on uh, probably a half a million B2B salespeople around the world. Wow. And so in the, the findings we found, um, what was interesting is it, it was a story about selling in the downturn. And actually, to your point, Darrell, if you open up the book, it really does come across that. Like, I mean, in the very first page, it's like, wow, this is, if you think of an analog to what we're going through right now, it was 0809, you know, uh-huh. and, uh, sales leaders and, and your listeners can remember if those were really dark days. Uh, they and, were. And it was, this was a, a window into what we might do differently to be, to emerge successfully and maybe uh-huh. even accelerate out of it. What the story evolved into, I think after the downturn was, you know, it was actually less a story about selling in a tough economy. And it was more a story about selling complex solutions to information empowered customers. And I uh-huh. think what, what ends up happening is, you know, these moments like 0809 or right now during the pandemic, what we see is like these big spikes in behavior that has always kind of been there that our customers have exhibited, but suddenly it's just, it's just amped up in a way that it just really eats into our conversion rate and our ability to bring deals across the finish line, whether that's, you know, um, the customer's risk aversion or their, um, their, their unwillingness to change off the status quo and go with a risky solution, which they may have been unwilling to do anyway, but right now, or in 0809, they're really unwilling to do, or consensus, uh, consensus uh, decision-making, right? It's always kind of been there in B2B sales, and it's been growing every single year, and I know we want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And then when things get really tough, like in 0809, we saw this huge spike in the number of people who would show up at the table right. on a purchase decision. You know, And I, I think the same thing's happening now. We're we're seeing this ourselves in, in, I work for an AI venture out of Austin and we, uh-huh. we see this in our own business. The number of people showing up to weigh in on a purchase decision has literally doubled just in the past month, you know, and it's really up to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're wow. Seeing. And it, it goes back to, and, and that's what, that's what, you know, beyond just the, the difference between the four different types or five different types of sales reps and the yeah. challenger, you know, really standing out is on the buyer side, when we look at the rise of the consensus-based sale and the yeah. increased risk aversion, yeah, um, yeah I, you know that is a that's a really interesting perspective and and observation is risk just amped up quite a bit, yeah. right? Because yeah. when we spend money now, there's not much of it. We better get a return on it. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and. You know, I think you're you're right. You know, when you talk about the five uh, the five profiles, which many uh, many of your listeners will remember, you know, the challenger, the relationship builder, the hard worker, the problem solver, and the lone wolf. And and the big takeaway was, while most heads of sales think it's the relationship builder who uh-huh. wins, what we found is that that seller had the lowest probability of being a high performer in our study. And they, they constituted the lowest percentage of high performance, especially where you're looking at really complex sales. That mm-hmm. Then they fall off the grid almost entirely. They're, in fact, the lowest percentage of the high performer population when selling is, gets really complicated, when um, uh, the, the buyer perceives those decisions as being really risky, really expensive, really you know fraught with change management. The relationship builder falls off the grid uh, almost entirely, and challengers really dominate, not just in average sales, but especially in complex sales. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is, um, you know, as you said, when we look at it from the buyer side, um, what we found is that the best salespeople are really adept at, at what I would say is finding their twin on the customer side. So it's not our classic kind of maybe champion or advocate or coach. And I, these these key stakeholders 
you know, the folks we hitch our wagon to, they go by many different names in many mm-hmm. different sales methodologies in every sales training binder in the world. There is that profile of that individual. But what we found was interesting is uh, challengers go out and they actually look for their twin. They look for the person who can challenge their colleagues internally, mm-hmm. the person who's going to, you know, take that insight that, that we brought to them in our challenger sale. They're going to grab that baton and run with it because a lot of that decision-making, as you know, happens behind closed doors and there really is this very important question, which is, uh, in in whose hands are we leaving this story? Um, mm. Who are we going to charge with the responsibility of forging consensus? Because we know, especially in times like right now, where budgets are tight, um, the bar is really, really high to spend incremental dollars on a solution uh, to change suppliers, et cetera. The, the, the default, the gravitational pull for buying groups is stay the course, avoid disruption, hunker mm. down, mitigate risk, save money, like don't rock the boat, right? And um, and that's true in normal times. That is especially true right now. Mm-hmm. But who is the person that's going to forge consensus when left to their own devices? Those, those disparate stakeholders will revert back to the status quo. And we call these people mobilizers, but the shorthand was the really challenger customers. So you need a challenger mm-hmm. salesperson, but those they're they're looking for their twin on the customer side, and and so that was a big surprise to us. But as we as we studied these people, just like we did a profile of salespeople, we did a profile analysis of customer types, and we found there are seven different types of customers. What was interesting is the ones that challengers target. Uh, you know, these folks are hard to engage. They're hard to talk to. The conversations aren't very fun. You know, it's 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 tough. You know, they um they have sharp elbows. They beat up our ideas. They run us through the ringer. Um, and in your average salesperson hates that conversation because the, the, what they take away from that is this person's not interested. Like I'm looking for the stakeholder who's like, wants to high five me and say, man, you right. guys are that awesome. was awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you guys are so smart. Like, yeah, yeah. But you know, when they, when you go back and the dust settles on the year and you do your win loss analysis and you study those deals that you either lost or more often than not just ended up in no decision land. Right. A lot of times what we find is like, you didn't have that mobilizer, that challenger customer rallying the troops on the customer side. You hitched your wagon to the, the wrong stakeholder. And that mm. person, while they were generous with their time, while they gave you lots of great information, while they made, you know, um, uh, made space on their calendar for you, it seemed like they were an advocate for you. They really weren't willing to stick their necks out in kind of forge consensus when, when stakeholders kind of wanted to stay the course. They mm. wouldn't stick their necks out for that. And, and that's like, there are lots of reasons deals stall out, but that was a consistent theme we found was that you just sold, you were selling to the wrong person. That person was valuable. They were helpful, but it's not the person you should have um, hitched the deal to, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. And I've been in that case as a salesperson so many times, right? Where yeah. you're like, wow, I was so, I was such good friends with this person in the account, right? We ha- what happened? We had it going on. Uh, I'm laughing because I just got off uh, a call and uh, my business partner in, in our growth agency is uh, we run a model called Traction. And so in that model, there's a visionary and an implementer. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and I'm the visionary. I'm guilty of that. And <laughs> I, I mean, we love each other, but yeah. oh my goodness, those, you know, if you yeah. could get a window into those conversations, but good things come out of that, right? Absolutely. That's I'm yeah. challenging him all the time and he's pushing back. And I think as salespeople, sometimes we'd look at something like that and go, wow, that went bad when maybe not. Right. 
Yeah, that's right. In fact, what we what we found is in our um, in our site. So just double click on this really quickly. So seven types of customer stakeholders. The seventh one will kind of dispose of quickly, which is we call that person the blocker. And yeah, so the blocker is the blockers of blockers. <laughs> right. Like, you know, <laughs> even if you want to meet with them, they're not going to meet with you. They're not going to happen. Like, yeah, and, you know these are we know these folks because we try to get time with them, and and if they respond at all, they're usually going to respond with something like appreciate it, but we're, we've got a, you know, a two-year plan or we're in the middle of this and we're, we're focused on that. Call me next year, you know, whatever, right. not right now. Right. And that's if they're polite about it. Right. Uh, which is usually <laughs> not the case. So uh, the other six though, break into these two buckets. So I mentioned one is the mobilizer. Now to what's very interesting, you talked about your business partner, um, the mobilizers fall into three subtypes. So you've got mm-hmm. your, um, uh, you've got your, uh, your doer, you've got your um, your teacher, you've got your skeptic, and um, you know what's interesting about them is you know your doer is very much like your business partner, the implementer. They're mm-hmm. the um, they're thinking they've got kind of a copy of like Microsoft Project running in their head at all times. Yes, so <laughs> you, you might put your provocative idea on the table and they'll say, "How much is it going to cost? How is it going to dovetail with the existing initiatives?" Is right. it going to require extra resourcing? Like how, like what's going to go wrong that you're not sharing with me right now? How much, you know, you're selling me the software, how much professional services am I going to be on the hook yeah. for all this stuff? Yeah. But like, they want to think about the doability. Um, you've got your teachers who are kind of like you, it sounds like they're the visionaries. They're the blue mm-hmm. ocean strategy kind of guys. They're great mm-hmm. storytellers. They engage in that idea, but from a different angle. So they want to know like, how am I going to get other people fired up about this idea, about this new way forward? I'm not so concerned about how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take and who's going to do what. Um, and then you've got your skeptics and your skeptics just, they just want to debate. They, you know, you yeah. whatever I, they're just, you know, I, I kind of think, you know, probably we'd have more luck finding skeptics in our own family. It's like the person at Thanksgiving, <laughs> you, you know, like you say the sky's blue and they're going to argue with you about it, you know? Um, but um, so those three types are your mobilizers. We found that those are the folks that challengers target. What's interesting though, to your point, those folks need to be equipped in different ways. And so mm-hmm. your doer, boy, that person is buttoned up on the impl- implementability or the doability of the solution mm-hmm. or the what you're proposing. They're not so great at the storytelling side. So they're going to need some help from you there. Your storyteller, your, your, your teacher, they need some help on the details. And your mm-hmm. skeptic just needs help kind of getting over the hump and, and understanding right. that what you're saying is true and relevant, et cetera. Now on the other side, so those are the mobilizers, then you got your, um, what we call our talkers. And the talkers are the opposite. So you've got uh, friends, guides, and climbers. Friends are exactly what you described before. They're like, boy, like this person just canceled their next appointment to spend more time on the phone with me because we're having such a great conversation. Right, it's going like, so well. <laughs> they out to you to like, right. you know, hey, I'm in town. You want to go grab a beer or grab coffee? Let's just right. catch up. Um, you've got your guides. Your guides are kind of um, really good at dishing the dirt. So they're very good at sharing with you what's going on inside their organization. You know, who's about to get promoted or fired? Like who's on mm-hmm. the upswing or the downswing? Where's the money really going to come from? What's the stuff that's not in the RFP, but the stuff I'm going to share with you kind of under the table that you need mm-hmm. to know? And then the last uh, type is the climber. And the climber is a real troublesome one because they're the sort of whiff them stakeholder. What's in it for mm-hmm. me? And they are only into your solution insofar as it uh, gets them promoted or increases their fiefdom or it, it spells good things for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is some of these talkers, your friends and your guides in particular, can actually be really valuable to you as a seller. 
you know, finding these folks, um, pumping them for information, getting that, getting them to dish the dirt and share that, that inside intel, network you with, with other stakeholders is really valuable. It's just, they're not going to stick their necks out and get the deal done. Right. When, when we test these folks for their willingness and ability to actually forge consensus, cash in political capital to get a dysfunctional buying group together on the same page to move forward and to do so around something that's actually risky and disruptive and going to require some resourcing and some commitment, your mobilizers test off the charts positive there and your talkers are all kind of flat or Mm -hmm. even negative. And so it does help you understand why, you know, your relationship builders are kind of looking for people just like them. They want the friendly Mm -hmm. people. They want the people to dish the dirt. They want to go out and grab the beer with the stakeholder. And then you look at the end of the year and it's like, why didn't I get this deal across the line? And it's because you were selling to somebody who had no, no ability or willingness to actually stick their necks out to get it done. Conversely, your challenger knows, hey, those folks are good for information, but I need somebody who's going to challenge their colleagues when I'm not invited. I'm not in the room, you know, when those meetings happen. And so they're looking for those mobilizers. But if you think about it, you know, your, your, your relationship builder, like they don't want to have a conversation with those mobilizers because those conversations are hard. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. no fun. It's, it's, they're going to run you through the ringer. They're going to be tough. They want to, they want to spend time with talkers. They love mm-hmm. that. They're just like them. You know, your challenger mm-hmm. knows, Hey, those folks are good, but they're not going to actually help me sell this thing. So I need to yeah. be else. So. so how do you find the mobilizer? Great question. So we, we actually came up with a framework, um, which, so once we found this, these seven types of stakeholders, we actually mm-hmm. went out to high performing salespeople and, um, and interviewed them and tried to understand like, what's the, you know, in some ways it's, it's not, it wasn't unlike, you know, if we were to interview like a world series of poker player, you know, and we thought about what are the tells that they look for from their right. brain, you know, mm-hmm. their, the other people at the table to know whether to buy, to, to raise or to, you know, whatever, uh, go all in. And um, so we spent time with high performers and what we found was there were a couple of key tells. So the first one they're looking for, remember the core, and you know this from the challenger sale, the core of a challenger based sale is a disruptive, provocative insight, right? And so insight um, in the way that the stakeholder responds to it is the first tell. So what, what high performers told me is if I put something in front of the customer, if I make a claim or um, reframe their thinking, and I know that this is a provocative, disruptive idea mm-hmm. that they probably shouldn't accept at face value, they should push back, and they accept what I say at face value, I hmm. probably got the wrong person. So that's a that's the immediate split right away. So if they respond skeptically, you probably have a, a mobilizer, or you might have a mobilizer. If right, respond, right. If they just accept whatever you say at face value, say, oh, Daryl, you're very, very smart. You guys, wow. <laughs> right. Right. Let's, another round, let's go. <laughs> then you might have a, a, a talker. So yeah. the, next, uh, the next piece was, um, you know, just because, um, uh, just because they engage, um, engage in your idea doesn't definitionally make them a mobilizer. The next question mm. a high performer asks is, do they engage in my idea? Um, and they, when they talk about this idea and this opportunity, they talk about it in terms of we or in terms of me. And mm. so if it's we, then you're probably in mobilizer land. Then you've got somebody who's thinking about the organization, thinking about what's right for the business, what's right for mm-hmm. the, the broader enterprise. If they're talking about it as far as me, then you might have more of a climber. And what's interesting is high performers always tell us like, if you've got a climber, run, don't walk. Like fake uh, fake an illness, get out of the office. Like, <laughs> just, you know, 
<laughs> they said the reality is the last thing you want as a salesperson is to have your solution tied to a climber because mm -hmm. you, if you know they're a climber, all their colleagues know they're climbers and everyone hates climbers. Like yes. they, will, they will line up to make sure that that deal never happens so that that person doesn't get what they want. Right. They I've been there. Just, I've done yeah. that. I've, yeah. yeah. It, it, Those know, never so, go well. Never. So um, now if what's interesting is um, you could then, you, like, there are some additional kind of cuts in, in litmus tests. So if we think about, okay, we don't, we have a climber. We don't want that person. Maybe we have uh, a mobilizer, but, are they a doer? Are they a skeptic? Are they a teacher? Well, we can ask questions about like, how do they engage in the idea? Do they think about more project planning or do they think more about storytelling? You know, are mm -hmm. they just asking hard questions? And so that tells me as a salesperson, what help is this person going to need? That doer is not going to need help um, with, uh, with project planning. They've got that covered. They need help with storytelling. That teacher doesn't mm -hmm. need help with the storytelling, but they really need help with the details. So that tells me as a salesperson, how do I equip them? I'll tell you, there's one last thing that every high performer we interviewed told us. They said, even then, I don't know if I've got the right person unless until I make them do something for me or I ask them to do something for me. So I thought this was really interesting. They use that as like a final test for whether I've got the right person. Hmm. Really, you said you, we need to get these people together. If you send a meeting planner out and call everyone together, will they show up? You know, you said, um, you know, I know that I need access to this kind of data or um, this kind of information or, you know, about your existing systems, if it's a software you know, solution, for instance, or maybe it's a database solution. I want you to send me a sample of data. Do you do it? You know, mm -hmm. can you get me, can you help, you know, fast cycle this through legal or through procurement or can you get the right people to show up to a meeting? Can you get me the data files I need? Um, and if you can't, well, then maybe I thought you were a mobilizer, but you're not really willing to, to work for this. And so I thought, I thought that framework is fairly simple. And a lot of these are not questions you're asking. You're not, you're not doing a personality mm -hmm. assessment of these folks, but you're asking yourself these questions as you're engaging with that person on the other side of the table to make the assessment of like, am I going to hitch my wagon to this person yeah. or thank them for their time, keep them warm and go find somebody else. Yeah. You know, uh, that's, uh, this is so good. And I, I'm now fascinated because I've got this visionary implementer on and being the, being like that visionary, I, I live in the land of stories. So when I meet with a buyer that wants to go, well, what's the rollout look like? How's the, you know, I'm just like, uh, right. <laughs> this is terrible. Well, not yeah. necessarily. Right. And, and that's, um, that's really good. I love that because yeah. I was trained. I think we all were trained in personality profiling and, oh, sure. yeah, and all yeah. that. But this is a, this is actually a really practical way to look at that. Are we, you know, are we working with a doer? Are we working with someone that's that's more on the visionary side? Yeah, I will. I will say one one other interesting finding is that we didn't find it in our data in our analysis. It correlated with seniority or title mm -hmm. or role, and so. Um, you know, imagine a scenario in which you get into the C-level executive or the, you know, at the highest level of the enterprise, you get, you fight your way into the corner office and that person is really just a talker. Now that's almost like the kiss of death for a salesperson, because I feel like I've got the economic buyer, I've got the decision maker, I've got that C-level executive and they're willing to spend all kinds of time with me. They're super generous. They give me all, it's like, Wow, I just hit the jackpot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile, like you've got somebody who, oh, despite their seniority, despite their big office, despite their generosity with information and their time, has no intention of forging consensus. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting is I feel like in today's day and age, we're much more likely to find that executive. Like back, 
I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, I think there was much more of a, a culture in companies where decisions were driven down from the top. And you had C-level decision makers who were much more likely to make decisions and, you know, they forged consensus by decree. Like, right. this is what, this we're, is what doing. we're doing. Right. Yeah. You know, today's leaders, I think, got to where they are because of their ability to forge consensus and to generate buy-in from the broader team and network, right? And so today's leader is much less likely to rule by fiat and more likely to rule by consensus. And they're not likely to stick their necks out and make the team do anything they don't want to do. And so they will abdicate that responsibility all day long. But it becomes really, um, it's tough for that salesperson who was taught, fight your way into the corner office, find the economic buyer. And they did that. And that person wants to spend all kinds of time with us. It's like, but again, they're not going to make the team go against their will. They're not going to forge consensus. They will sit back, let the team decide. They won't be your challenger customer or your mobilizer. And then you end up in no decision land, which is obviously where we don't want to be. So. Yeah, that I think that part of the research was maybe the part that jumped out the most to me because I, you know, back in the day we were taught we we're sell to veto, right? Get to exactly. the top office, yep. you know, that's where you want to aim. And, um, but the research found that maybe that's not the place to start in a complex buying environment. And yeah, I think that's right. Now I, I will say I, I don't think I would never say that talking to that, um, you know, that veto uh, executive you know, the C-level decision maker is something you shouldn't do, right? And right, I think, right. you know, um, that person will be a stakeholder in the decision, right? Um, and at some level, that uh, agreement uh, is going to sign, is going to cross their desk and they're uh-huh. going to have to sign for it. Uh-huh. And so they are a stakeholder in the decision. They just might not be the stakeholder in the decision, you know? Right. And, and as important as they are, I think sometimes there's this head fake. I also think we sometimes in certain industries – we fall into this mode of assuming, well, the mobilizer is always the head of IT or it's always the head mm-hmm. of, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the, you know, the talkers are these people. And we also found that that doesn't really correlate with role. Um, sometimes these folks come from very different parts of the business. I mean, I know this, I, again, I mentioned I work for an AI company and that we found that our mobilizer can come from very different uh, areas. It could be somebody in the line in the business. It could be you know, the chief data or analytics officer, it could be an end user, you know, somebody who has the ear of the people who have the budget, who, has, you know, um, uh, when they talk, people listen, and they are, they are willing to advocate for for right answer, and they have the ear of the people with, with uh, the senior most and the, the decision makers. But, you know, it's very hard to kind of typecast them by mm-hmm. their role or by their level, and it can be really dangerous to do so. Yeah, you know, I've, I've I've seen it. It's uncommon, but I'm, I'm thinking of one huge deal I was involved in. The mobilizer was in the purchasing department, which you know, you go, yeah. that's the total opposite of Absolutely. what I was but, taught. But it would that's was the key, right? For sure. And you know what? The other thing is, I think, and again, in sales, we 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 all assume like well, procurement and purchase, like avoid like the place, <laughs> right? Don't, arms don't even walk by their door, right? Yeah, I'll take a different route. Real quick story. I um, uh, we worked with the head of sales from a, um, a benefits outsourcing company, and um, he said he, he did a, a visit with one of his top salespeople. So doing a little bit of a kind of forensic or ethnographic research on like what is it that my top sellers are doing, and he was shocked that he went on a uh, went to a meeting with a real big potential client in the first meeting, and the head of procurement shows up. What the buyer for the solution is usually the head of HR or the head of benefits. And in mm-hmm. um, this meeting was the head of HR, the head of benefits and the head of procurement. 
And they left the office and the, the head of sales said to this, his high performing rep, one of his challenge reps said, man, that, well, I can't believe procurement showed up this early. Like usually we just bring those guys in late. And his seller said, well, I invited them. And he goes, why on earth did you do that? Like we don't, he said, because I found in this deal and this deal and this deal and this deal, procurement hates when they're treated like a purchasing department that yeah. is only there to run the, you know, run suppliers to the ringer and try to eke out a discount. They may try to do that anyway, but what procurement values is whether they're treated like a, um, a strategic partner to the line and to the business. Mm. They want to be, they, and so if we treat them like a discount department um, or terms and conditions department, that's how mm -hmm. they'll behave. But if we treat them like a strategic stakeholder in this decision, they're going wow. to engage differently. So I thought that was a really, and it flies in the face of everything you know, we've, we've assumed about procurement leaders. Yeah, it's not what I've taught. <laughs> it's not what I've been yeah. taught, not what I've taught. And that's what I love about the challenger sale and the challenger customer is, you know, we're looking at stuff that's based on research. It's yeah. validated. It's not just opinion. And right. so I think, you know, that's why I think these books are so powerful. Um, and I'm just curious as we end, yeah. Um, you know, this, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really, really appreciate it. And I know everyone across the C-suite radio network appreciates this, but I'm just curious, you said right now, because the rise in risk and yeah. there's no question, there's a rise in risk, um, that the consensus based sale is like on steroids. So in yeah. the yeah. challenger customer, it's what? 6.7. Yeah. Well, actually, it was, uh, it was five point. Uh, it was five point four when we wrote the book. That's it right. It kept. It got amended, right? Yeah. It, we, so it turned into. Uh, we reran that analysis after like the ink had just dried on the book, and we <laughs> reran it. It was. It went up to six point eight. You know, here's the other thing is that I know my um, a bunch of my former colleagues still work at Gardner, and they continue to run this analysis. The mm. latest number is over ten. Um, oh and, wow! Yeah, and so there's. The, and, and some of that research is very recent. So what they found exactly to your point, Daryl, is that more people are showing up because uh, money is limited, budgets are tight, risk aversion is high, more people are weighing in, and that's more potential people who are going to say no, right? And so, yep. so this is just a really tough thing to navigate. It's always been an issue. Um, it's just getting that much tougher. And times like this, make some of these things just, like you said, they're on steroids. They just really skyrocket in terms of the difficulty of navigating these things, which then makes it much, that much more important that we know how to navigate that, what stakeholders to target, how to, how to not end up in the solutions graveyard. So Yeah. Well, it, it influencing buying teams is so critical, but one of the great things about where we are right now, where we're recording this is we know where the buying teams are. Yeah. They're in their home offices on yeah. Zoom, just like us. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, thank you so much for uh, for sharing this time with us. This is yeah. uh, has been a fantastic conversation, and um, for everybody listening in, I wish you all the best too in, in what you're working on. I can't uh, wait to see uh, what comes out of your mind next in, in <laughs> all of this. We're uh, it's so exciting, and, and obviously, if you haven't read the Challenger Sale and the Challenger Customer. Uh, you just walk, don't run uh, to your closest online bookstore because this is so relevant right now. And, and to everybody listening in, uh, you know, I am I'm really excited about the opportunities right now. Yes, this is a challenging time. Yes, this is a time for empathy. But as business leaders, whether you own a company, you're in sales, you're in marketing, this is the time where we've got to drive and thrive. This is the time where we've got to step up 
yes, be empathetic, but boy, we've got to be strategic. And uh, Matt, I know the stuff in this book is, is right in line with the type of strategy sales and marketing teams need right now. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the invite and uh, wish all your listeners the best. And, uh, and I think you put it really well. Um, this is not the time to just hunker down. This is the time to, um, you know, rethink what we're doing, uh, you know, really focus on what is it that's going to make us effective, not just now, but accelerate us out of the, uh, out of the downturn. So in yeah. those, those companies that take that approach, I think are going to be really successful coming out of this. Yeah. Well, hey, Matt, all the best to you and to everyone listening in. Thank you. It's great hearing from everybody. I love it. It's so fun seeing the reviews coming in on this podcast. Even though we're on the largest uh, business radio network in the world, this is a new podcast. So, and it's exciting. I think it's hyper relevant. And so, if you would be kind enough to leave a review in whatever platform you're listening, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever platform, it helps spread the word. Till next week, though, as we always say, let's get going and let's get growing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Would you like to get complimentary access to the Revenue Growth Engine audiobook? Just text the word REVENUE to 21000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book. You'll get instant access to the audiobook so you can get ideas to help you grow your revenue so you can scale your impact. Text the word REVENUE to 21000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book to get instant access. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found ideas to help you drive exponential revenue growth so your business can make more of an impact. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to like or subscribe. It also helps us spread the word if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. Of course, we'd love it if you would share this with your friends. Together, we are growing revenue so we can scale our impact.